Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante, along with the prodigal son who has decided to return to the fold, Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, welcome back. We've missed you. Oh, man. Can you imagine if somebody was lost in the darkness, as you just, as you just portrayed me to be, and there's this glimmer of light, and it's your face coming down to, to pull me out. It's like, ah, you know what? The darkness has actually been fine. I'll be good here. No, nah, it's, it's good to be back, though. <laughs> the dark side is underrated, Dustin says. Yeah, and it's, been, it's become a big part of me now, Jim. Just, okay. just wait. You got, you got salty you. I've got, I've got Sith Dustin to make a Star Wars reference. I've got the dark side. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, let's, uh, let's segue, Dustin, <laughs> to some football talk. Uh, while you were gone, I don't know if you know, there's been a few stories going on here. Uh, perhaps I, first and foremost, we have lost the defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz. It's, it was rumored for a while. The Duke job was out there. He was a candidate. And it's been talked about Manny leaving for a while. We all knew he wanted to be a head coach. And I think while it was, all the rumors of Duke were going on, I think most Penn State fans in, had in their head, yeah, it's probably going to be him because why wouldn't it be him? Right. We think so highly of him. It, it kind of became the question of, is Duke the right choice for him? What do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's a really good question. Like we, we assessed this question, I think more you and I did, probably more than once to this point. And I, the last time you and I talked about this, the speculation of Duke was probably in the its earlier stages. And you brought up Duke as a direct name. And I'm pretty sure my conclusion was, I wouldn't worry about Duke. I think he's got his sights set higher than Duke. I, something to that effect. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's it's a good coaching job. He must like what's there down there. He must like, like, I, I didn't really see what he had to say about, you know, the things that, that drew him in. I just kind of expect coach speak to, to those, but clearly he sees something here in this, in this program, this team where the roster, whatever, whatever he sees in the job. And the more I thought about it, uh, there's something very that you it, it's a priceless element here. And that's for Manny Diaz to have the opportunity to stick it to Miami uh, on a, on a yearly or semi-yearly basis, however they work their, their scheduling there. So as the head coach at Duke, he has a chance to head to head, stick it to Mario Cristobal, stick it to the Miami donors, stick it to the Miami alums, everybody who kind of played a part in him going on this bit of a journey uh, which, by the way, I think made him a better coach in the end. You know, he he has worked with, um, I mean, he's worked with so many defenses and so many really good players, but I cannot imagine he's seen over the past two years the same amount of talent and the same amount of creativity that he can explore with that talent. Like, I think as a defensive-minded guy and as a head coach, especially coming out of Miami, Manny Diaz really, you know, did a good job of rebuilding himself to the point where he's back in the running for a job like this. And now I think now that he's gone through that experience and he, he's had the experience at Penn state, 
I do feel like he's better positioned to have a longer term success uh, as a head coach this time around than last time. I do too. I like the job for a lot of different reasons, Dusty. And, and by the way, I do think he's probably a better coach for having served with James Franklin. I think sure. he's, he's probably learned things from him. But let me talk about this Duke job. First of all, you know, setting your sights higher, where exactly would that be? And how many of those really good big jobs open up? And don't, you know, um, recently we had Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly make moves and where they were kind of those lateral moves. So that's yeah. who a USC hires or an LSU hires. Okay. So if that opens up a job, what did we see happen at Notre Dame? They hired from within. Yeah. Okay. Now, Oklahoma, there's the one example of a, an assistant coach, a coordinator, getting a wonderful job, Oklahoma. But how long was that defensive coordinator at Clemson before he took that job, Dusty? Lo- longer than I thought he ever would be. And I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a it's an interesting side by side about like what was Venables waiting for versus what Manny Diaz was waiting for. And the wait was very long. Now I find it a little bit ironic that like a job like Texas A and M was open, where all the money, uh, the backing, the support, all those things on the surface that you look at as hey a good thing. Here's my bet to you, Dusty. Ironically, it was the Duke coach who took the Texas A&M job, right? Yep. Manny Diaz took takes the Duke job because of that. I'm betting Manny Diaz will last longer at Duke than Elko will last <laughs> at Texas A&M. Would you take that bet? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. Uh, the I think the more specific targeted bet that I'd be I'd be more interested in would be which guy is more likely to leave that job on his own terms, because Manny Diaz could opt to stay for a decade at Duke because it's such a good job and he's done such a good you know job with it, or he could be there for two years and really reestablish himself as kind of like the for the previous Duke coach as now he is a a true blue high level power five coaching candidate. You know, the Duke job is, is a really good one for in terms of what they're looking for and where their sights are set in a, in a realistic way. You know, going to Texas A&M, you are not you're walking into a very unique reality that exists only in College Station, Texas, where they have, you know, real delusions of grandeur about becoming a contender overnight. And it's like, what do you need to do that? You know, the fact that they hired Jimbo Fisher says they're probably not hiring a Manny Diaz when Jimbo Fisher inevitably fails. So, you know, the fact that they hired Duke's coach was a was a prudent type move, you know, like they, it was a totally different hiring process than it was when Jimbo came in. But I still don't think Manny Diaz had the level of sizzle that they were looking for um, in, in a job. No, my point being, in many ways, I think the Duke job is better than Texas A&M. If you just yeah. want a payday, okay, go to A&M. And I think the comparison we could make, again, with the Texas A&M tie-in, is they were interested in the Kentucky coach. The Kentucky coach is one of the most highly paid coaches in the country. Has not won a thing, but it's a <laughs> basketball school. 
He gets them to bowl games every year. He wins eight, nine, ten games, and they're thrilled with him. I'm saying Manny Diaz could do the same thing at Duke, and they'll be happy with him, and he could stay there forever. Or he also could have the option to go somewhere if that dream job comes open. You know, just a crazy thought. Say the head coach at Penn State decides to move on someday. What better candidate to take over than Manny Diaz, who now has ties here, all that. But I'm I'm saying the Duke job, I think, and the fact that it's in the ACC, no, I don't see Duke winning a national championship. But could you picture Duke winning an ACC championship? I can. It's picturable. Absolutely it is. You know, that that league, I, I love what Florida State had done. And, you know, you and I, maybe we don't ever get a chance to talk about the college football playoff committee and how you leave Florida State out and all that. But um, I, I'm not I'm not that nervous about Florida State over a long term of never being able to beat them. You know, they're, they're going to go into a di- little different era uh, going forward with Jordan Travis moving on. I mean, it, everybody goes through that. You can see teams peak when they have the right mix and the right quarterback and the right components at the right time. But it is hard to do that year in, year out. And Clemson is a good example of that within the ACC. Um, I think if you can establish a team that competes hard and is pretty consistent, like you you can be in the, in the running. Pitt did it, Jim. I mean, right there. Boom. The case is signed, sealed, and delivered. <laughs> I, I didn't think of that, but that is an excellent point. And if you're in the ACC, now, I would not be surprised if there's years with the 12-team playoff where the ACC gets one team in. Their, their yeah. champ is guaranteed to be in. But might there be a year where, okay, let's say Clemson is that definitive team and they win it and they're in. Could Duke go through a season in the ACC with one loss or two losses and be a top 12 team, be a, you know, uh, a college football playoff team? I, I think that's conceivable in the ACC. So I think there's a lot of good things going for them there. And I think the culture of Duke, it's an excellent university. Um, I think there's money at Duke if the support is there financially to bring people in, to bring players in, and let him get uh, pay for a good staff. I will say this, too. What he did for Penn State will make me a Duke fan the same way I root for, you know, the Penn State players who go to the NFL. I still – I root for them individually as Penn Staters. Uh and I know the other coaches have gone. I didn't necessarily feel that way about Mississippi State or Virginia Tech or Old Dominion. I think most folks understand the meaning of me pointing those out. I do. Yeah, I, th- I do too. I think I'm going to be ruined for Duke every week, Dusty. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and Manny Diaz was nothing but likable. Um, you know, he, he accomplished a lot. His His unit was always consistent made the most out of their talent, got creative. I mean, there's so much good stuff there. And, you know, you made a point earlier about, you know, we talked about him becoming a better coach and and working with James Franklin. And, you know, you can rip James Franklin for some stuff. You can talk about his game day management and and all that. But 
if you're talking about a big picture coach managing the big picture things that have to be done, the hires that have to be made, both the public ones and the less public ones, the number of staffing positions to fill, how to uh, navigate alumni, how to navigate fans, how to work with the administration so everybody gets what they want and and achieve things in, a, in an off-the-field capacity. I mean, he, the experience with James Franklin, those two years, and being able to pick his brain about those big-picture things, about roster management and, and all those types of things, that can really help Manny Diaz get back to that head coaching ranch with, with all that extra responsibility. And as I said before, handle it better the next time around. The job at Duke, at Duke was not too small, not too big. Uh, it's a three bears situation. He sat in the chair that was just right. <laughs> Very good, Dusty. And talking about, you know, the hires that James Franklin has made, we're going to move on in quarter two to how they replace Manny Diaz. But but the first thing I'm going to ask you when we go to uh, quarter number two was Manny Diaz, James Franklin's best ever hire. We'll get Dustin's answer when we come back. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're through one quarter, Dusty. How's your stamina after being off? Are you able to handle four quarters today? Uh, I'm lying down right now, and when when I'm not speaking into a microphone, I'm breathing heavily into a paper bag. Um, it's probably the Taco Bell. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a doctor, Jim. Why are you asking me these questions? <laughs> uh, silly question. But speaking of questions, when we finished up quarter number one, everyone, trust me, Dustin, everyone waited for waiting with bated breath for the answer to the question. Manny Diaz, the best hire James Franklin has ever made. I mean, you 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 did the you did a nice thing by by coming out of quarter one, telling me how we were going to start this off here, and I thought about it, and I was like, I'm not going to rationally get to a, a clear cut answer on this thing, but I I mean it's a it's a uh, two horse race as far as I'm concerned. Now you can get into like. Joe Brady was an analyst or, or a grad assistant or whatever, you know, there you can get it, go down some rabbit trails there and, and see some other good hires that James Franklin made. Ty Howell was a good hire that, that he made. Terry Smith was a good hire that, that he made. Um, but I think it's a Joe Moorhead versus Manny Diaz thing. Now, like I think Manny Diaz um, single-handedly did more for Penn state's defense than I think Moorhead maybe did for Penn state's offense. I mean, maybe that's debatable, but I think about like, you know, what, what role Saquon and Trace McSorley had in all that too. Now, you know, I, I think what, what Joe Moorhead did also though, was lift a unit that needed to be lifted uh, at a time when they needed to be lifted there. And then went on an amazing run that, that, you know, Penn State fans who were following at the time will never, ever forget. 
And I think the impact of especially that that 2016 season and where the, it looked like the program was going. So I think beyond just the how they did their individual job, Joe Moorhead gets points because of when he arrived, how he arrived and how he left. Uh, where he left the program and what they were able to do to kind of make those memories for people and get Penn State back to a place where they had these top 12, top 10, top five expectations. Nobody had those in 2014 or 2015. So I think Joe Joe Moorhead's tenure, I think, is going to be uh, viewed as more impactful over time. So I'm going to go Joe Moorhead, but that's a it's an interesting um, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think I would fault anybody for going the other way. I'm going the other way. Maybe it's a little. <laughs> you would have done the same thing. Either way, you would have done the same thing. <laughs> Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going the other way. Uh, was like, that, think... was, that was a very, that was a very Jerry Seinfeld delivery there. Like I'm Newman dropping, <laughs> dropping off the decision at your doorstep. Hello, Newman. Hello, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a little recency bias, but I I just can't imagine uh, the defense playing better than it did this past year in every way. I thought this was a national championship type defense that we saw, and I like not only the the results of, you know, go look at the stats, but also the development of players. Players get better on this defense. You know, I look at, I think uh, Kobe King is a great example. I think he is so much better a player this year than he was a year ago. And we see that, you know, around. We see Johnny Dixon went from a, and I bring him up always because I'm guilty. When they brought him in, I kind of went, so why? What I didn't I didn't see the point. Yeah. Well, now I see the point, Dusty. Okay, I do. And you know, there's a lot of names like that that w- we could pick out of players who have improved while here. I think that development's been great. It, it's also been an entertaining defense. So that's that's why I'm voting Manny. And of course, no, that, you're right. That's... If you had said Manny, I would have said more. <laughs> no, but I mean, you you make you make really good points there, and it's like. Um, he was almost, he was almost like the perfect hire. So now as I'm, I'm talking about this, it's like, well, how can I say that? And Joe Moore was a better hire, but it's like, you know, getting an offensive, like what Penn State fans had come to expect from their offense changed completely with, <laughs> within a year or two. So like, there's some obviously great stuff about there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, he, but here's the, here's the question. What's the worst hire that James Franklin has, has ever made? Where do, what do you, where do you check in on that one? I think maybe by level of expectation, would you say Mike Yursich? Because we expected so much from him. The things they're saying about um, the new OC now is exactly what everybody was saying two years (laughs) ago. I mean, I could go back, get our notes from the Mike Yursich show, and just, you know, bring those notes back out cross out Mike Yursich's name and put in Kotal Nicky and and away we go. It's true. In, including coming from the big 12 where you can question like offensive performance and what that, what that really means. I think Franklin has a better, <clears throat> and this is a, this is a real rabbit trail here, but I think Franklin has a better um, feel for what Kotal Nicky is all about because of his relationship with Lance Leopold, the relationship, the, the fact that those guys had come to town. I think, I think James Franklin was guilty of um, 
swinging hard out of his shoes for a home run uh, on that. And felt like he needed that and felt like he had, you know, to justify getting rid of a coordinator after one year, um, you, you had to swing hard. And I think maybe through that process, like, I don't think he was a hundred percent convinced from like an energy perspective. Cause like you can talk and feel with uh, J- James Franklin coaching staff and feel a lot of the same energy that you feel from the head coach. And I think there's something to be said about that. And you're such, obviously he had um, his fans and he had his resume and it's hard to deny what he looked like on paper, but I don't know that he was ever like the best personality fit. And I think the way that things ended kind of reinforced that. But uh, in terms of worse though, like I think the high profile and the expectations, that's true. Um, But he made it uh, more than one year. So my, my one year. So how about David Corley? coming in as a running backs coach and then getting bumped to wide receivers whenever Jay Wan Sider came in. And I think it was Franklin's way of saying like, okay, well I want Jay Wan Sider. So in that way you can't, you know, you had to go through the Corley process to get there. But now you look at, you know, right, right around that time is when the dominoes started to fall in a not great direction at the Penn state wide receiver level too. So I, I would go, I would lean David Corley and this is no disrespect. I mean, he's, he's still in football. He's still coaching. That was a tough position to be in. However, I think to me, that's a, that's a slam dunk. You know, it pains me to say this, but I'm going to concede on that one. I think, <laughs> Hey, we're one and one. We're, we're one gonna... and one. It's the, it's the best I've ever done. I'm giving you a win for that one, Dusty, because I had forgotten that one. That that's excellent. And you're right. We are going down rabbit holes today. Let's get let me get you back on schedule. All right. All right. I, all right. Like like the Penn State offense. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I want to get back on schedule. We were that behind, was a first down pass. That, that, was, a, that was a first down deep shot we just threw right there. <laughs> Incomplete, and now we're be, we're behind the chains on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, what I want to get to the natural segue was. From okay, Manny Diaz was so good. We got that. We got him in Duke. We got him winning coach of the year already in the ACC. But now you got to replace him. So this fits in with this whole hiring discussion, Dusty. What does James Franklin do in hiring a replacement for Manny Diaz? Uh, I think the the internal candidate category is stronger on this side of it than it was on the offensive side of it. Would you agree with that? And in terms of how strong the in-house hire really is in Anthony Poindexter. Well, I'll, uh, I'll give you more, a longer answer than you wanted, (laughs) but um, I think it is. Plus here's the additional thing. You made a change at offensive coordinator because you wanted a change in your offense. Okay. Yeah. So it's more of a natural solution to go outside. Dusty, I don't want anything to change on defense. Nothing. I want it to be exactly the same. Best chance of getting something <laughs> the same is an internal hire. Man, that, I think what you just said is like a lifelong enemy of James Franklin. You think about like the, the business mantra of if you're not growing, you're dying. Trying to bring back the same exact defense with different pieces. Now, the mindset. All right, the the attacking mindset. I think it, it can, you can say that about that, but you know, I think maintaining the stability and and somebody who's been in the same room and has has coordinator experience, and I'm sure Anthony Poindexter was 
thinking in terms of like, if I was the, if I was the guy here, you know, thought about that as he's listening to Manny Diaz. So I think the transition from safeties coach to defensive coordinator is a really appealing one for that reason. And it's not like, it's not a charity case for Anthony Poindexter. Like he is a guy who can coach and my goodness, like I spent five minutes around him in a small circle. Uh, and it, he, he's a really inspiring guy. Like I didn't know uh, it was Mark Wilgenrich from um, the sports illustrated Penn state site who pointed this out. I never saw the quote that uh, Marcus Higgins came from Virginia to Penn state largely because of Anthony Poindexter and their time together. And his son's uh, middle name is after Anthony Poindexter. I mean, that's an inspiration right there that you can you can look at it, you can feel it uh, at, at Penn State. Like Poindexter's ability to kind of inspire that level of trust and relationship building, like that's not that's a really valuable skill in addition to what he knows about football. And you know, the the eyes from the safety position see the game in a much more complete way than the eyes from some other positions on the field. So his experience teaching guys that is good for overall defense too. In addition to the fact that he's got coordinator experience. He does. He was a candidate for the Virginia head job. And yep. I'll tell you where I take, we have landed now part of our team and he has I, I asked him the question. Now, first of all, he's a huge, huge Manny Diaz fan, and he's, you know, talked told a couple stories that are very funny about Manny Diaz. But he also feels that way about Anthony Poindexter. And I think someone who's been inside the locker room and knows that feel and has said, you know what, Jim, it's not like that everywhere. Not every team loves their coaches, respects them, and feels that way. But Poindexter has earned that respect also. And it is me for an offensive lineman to have that level of knowledge and respect of what a safeties coach is all about when their jobs probably couldn't intersect less. Probably says all you need to know about the presence that Anthony Poindexter has in that building. Exactly. And I, uh, Landon's opinion carries a lot of weight with me. And that just adds to how I already felt about getting an internal hire. And I think James Franklin has done it both ways, gone outside and stayed internal and making his hires. It's almost like he wants to balance it. Here's a way to balance that offensive coordinator choice. All right, Dusty, that's it for quarter two. Still lots more to talk about. Stick with us. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. Dusty, I feel compelled every quarter to just ask, are you still good, my friend? You still handling it? 
Yeah, I got the oxygen mask out. You know, when when a guy runs for a ninety-yard touchdown in the thin air, the mile-high air of uh, of Denver, that's me sitting here <laughs> in the spare room talking about football. But I'm good. I I I got I got my my fill of oxygen now. That's just you on a normal day, Dusty, needing that, oxygen. Post bacon in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We've been talking a lot about Manny Diaz and potential candidates. I've already thrown it out there. I'm supporting Anthony Poindexter. I'm in charge of his campaign for the job. I'll be pushing for it. Um, I I need like a good campaign slogan for him. So you think about that, Dusty. We we can come back to it. But Here's the other question, because this is just fun, and you see a lot of conversations about this. Who are the other candidates? If he were to choose to go outside the program to bring someone in, because he has swung for the fences, as you put it, uh, you know, going for home run hires before, obviously he did that when he brought Manny Diaz in just a short two years ago, remember? Yeah. This is the guy he went for. Might he do something like that again? Oh, I, I mean, I think James Franklin goes into the process with a sincere open mind about what he's seeing, who he's hearing from, and where the coaches fit together. I mean, part of the, you know, if you are making a pros and cons list of Anthony Poindexter, a big pro is his presence in this program already. And the fact that he spent two years um, kind of as a direct like understudy to to a guy who had such amazing success. I mean, the internal candidate has a lot of clout in this situation, but uh, Franklin's going to look at absolutely everybody who comes around, and I'm sure he's got multiple people for this list. Um, another interesting component of the hiring process, uh, okay, let's think about uh, the idea of hiring Anthony Poindexter and moving him from safeties coach um, to the full-time DC job. Now you got another position to hire, which might be an asset for James Franklin. If he's got somebody really high in mind for the safeties coach job too, that's another point in Anthony Poindexter's favor. You know what I mean? Like he can, he can kind of lower the magnitude of the, the quote unquote new hire by, by doing that. But uh, you know, I've seen lists. I've never really been the, the candidates list guy. Uh, I did see, you know, Joe Rossi was one name that I saw um, bouncing around in in that universe, but he was just hired by Michigan State for that job. Uh, Tom Allen from Indiana. Elio! I want him just for the social media video posts of him saying how much he loves everybody and everything and every ice cream flavor and whatever at, at at the creamery. I would love to see the Tom Allen character here, but that just doesn't seem like a a reasonable hire at this point in time. Uh, I can't really get myself to be too enamored, mainly because I don't know a ton about about up-and-coming defensive coordinators across the country, but it's really hard to go from a really established guy to a true new face, nobody's heard of them type. You're either hiring from somebody who it's like you're paying them more to make a lateral move, kind of like what you did with the OC job, uh, or you're hiring from within, I think. So I don't think you go with an, with an unknown in this situation. They're going to roll right into big shoes that have to be filled, and they're going to roll into a, a team and a program that has playoff aspirations uh, in the in year one of the job. This is no learning experience. You need somebody who who knows what they're doing and who who what they do 
fits in, you know, with what you're trying to do as a head coach, which, you know, Franklin has really, you know, connected these dots at defensive coordinator very, very well, uh, much better than, than on the offensive coordinator side of it. Well, and that's also, I think, uh, Dusty, that fact that you have to hit the ground running is all the more reason to go internal with the hire because there are great aspirations for next year. You can argue on the offensive side of the ball, we need changes to make it work. And again, on the defensive side, you don't need changes. I think you want more of the same. Yeah, every coach is going to have his own little tweaks to it. But, and and one of the things you mentioned, just, just as a thought, you said about if uh, Poindexter would become the head coach, you bring in a new safeties coach. Well, remember, um, Manny Diaz, coordinator and linebackers coach. Might it be a linebacker coach that you bring in and have Poindexter continue with the safeties? Oh, yeah. I mean... Anthony Poindexter has safety blood in him, man. I mean that that is his, that's his post. He's a believer uh, in in the, in what impact safeties have on, on the game and how much they have to see and and how they have to interpret. And it, it should make for I think a smarter defensive coordinator because safeties just inherently are supposed to know what everybody else is doing, where everybody else is going to be, and what their responsibility is as a result of that. So I, I, I like that part of it, and I think he'd be just fine coordinating the defense and developing safeties. I mean, he's he's developed safeties as a, at a high, high level too, and there's another really outstanding example of that this year in K.J. Winston. So I, I think that's an interesting part of it, you know, and, and the assembly of the entire coaching staff comes down uh, to that. So a safeties coach slash D.C. and you hire a linebacker coach, I can rally behind that. And, and you know what? A lot of these names that are being thrown out there also, Jim Leonard, Danton Lynn. It, one of the things that I find interesting is some of these coaches, and I can't remember which is which, this guy runs a 3-4, this guy runs a 3-3-5, three, three, you know, major differences. I'm not sure that they're looking for that for all the reasons I mentioned before, but it's also – you've still got so many of the pieces still in place on this defense. They could still lose, you know, all the guys we've talked about, the Kalen Kings and Curtis Jacobs and Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac. And and there's still so many more guys that are coming back who are now comfortable playing this uh, Manny Diaz defense. Again, boy, and, and, and Poindexter, he has sat in that defensive room for the last two years. I'm sure he's had his thoughts as a coordinator, but he's got to be looking at this saying, you know, this this Diaz guy and his defense, he's got some here. <laughs> it's working, yeah. Dusty. So why yeah. would you want to change that? But anyway, it brings up the thought, though, there's still another game in a couple weeks a bowl game, and Manny Diaz isn't going to be here. What's up for that for the defense? Well, that's probably got to be Poindexter too, right? I, I don't think I've seen any kind of formal announcement about that, unless it was in the in the Penn State release about Manny Diaz. I don't I don't know, but um, that's got to be Anthony Poindexter there too, and he's done that job once before you hired Manny Diaz, so uh, that that's a good thing for for him and. You know, I think I think the Penn State defense is fine uh, in that respect, in 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 the uh, in the bowl game. 
you know, Ole Miss is a, is a, is a really big challenge. Um, they've got a thousand yard rusher. They've got, you know, a trio of guys. They've got a dual threat quarterback. I mean, this is going to be a, a different type of strain on Penn state's defense and you're not having chop Robinson there, but you know, you look at the, the way the the way that these guys have elevated themselves and the, and the amount of responsibility that your Adiza Isaacs and Curtis Jacobs and, you know, the, your safeties, like these veteran guys, I mean, they take ownership of these defense too. And I think, you know, maybe you're going to have a few times in the game where, Diaz would dial up a, a blitz where Poindexter doesn't do that type of thing, or maybe maybe there are ways that D, that Diaz could call a better game. But this defense is going to come to play. Like I I don't I think I think that it, it can survive more than you know just temporarily playing for a guy who might end up being your full time DC anyway. I think they're going to be fine in the bowl game. I do too, and I even think Dusty that there are some pieces to it. Uh, we talk about. You know, they call it the Predator or the seven-man front, the Miami defense. And they do so many things out of it. This is what they go into on a third and long situation. Well, I think we're going to see exactly that again. The difference will be, okay, which blitz out of this formation? Are we going to have Johnny Dixon coming from a corner or are we going to, you know, have – Dom DeLuca coming from this side or Daquan Hardy, or are we going to have Chop Robinson drop back into coverage while the other five guys are coming? From within the structure, you can do different things. And might he do it just a little bit different than Manny Diaz? Sure. But I think that same attitude will be there, that same aggressive attitude. And Again, that's why I want that to continue into next year, Dusty. Yeah, and the, it's uh, it's an audition, you know. This is this is an audition. If 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 the job's not not filled by by then, I guess. But this is uh this is a good chance for Poindexter to to show that he can take what they've been doing at such a high level and keep doing it that way, even if it is a little bit different. Um, you know, I think the the attacking mentality has been so important. You know, the create the ingenuity and the creativity and and the way that the aggressiveness where you you know you're sending your cornerbacks and safeties and linebackers and your DNs are dropping, your D tackles are dropping, whatever, like you're you're creating chaos that way. But the attacking mentality is something that, you know, I mentioned ownership of the defense earlier. That that is a that's a player driven thing too. And that level of effort is not going to change from this defense. I don't care who's calling the plays. You know, Jimmy, you could get in there and call the plays, and these guys would fly to the ball and uh, and 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 you know think big in terms of what they're doing. You know, think think that they're getting takeaways. Like that mindset is hammered into these guys already, and they're going to keep that mindset for for another game here, I think, and and play a very good Ole Miss team very tight as they've done all year. But just to clarify a point, my hat was in the ring for the offensive coordinator position. I'm not sure I am over that disappointment yet where I am prepared emotionally to take on the defensive coordinator position, even if Listen, it was offered dusty with, with what I've been following baseball and Shohei Otani getting 10 years, $700 million. What I want to see is the first ever offensive and defensive coordinator on the same staff and how, what you can do with your payroll then and what you can pay your safeties coach when you only have one guy doing that job. I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet. 
<laughs> one might argue that there's a few head coaches <laughs> that yeah. do it and they're they're paid pretty well to to make sure it works on both sides of the ball dusty and well, sometimes that just plain doesn't happen. All right, we've got one more segment to go, Dusty. I still want to ask you about this bowl game and not just it, different offensive coordinators, but what else do you expect to see? Chop Robinson's not going to be there. That's the one we do know. Are there other players that are going to miss, or is that are they going to go by the Saquon Barkley plan and have a limited, limited downs? We're going to see. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. Fourth quarter, Dusty. You still making it? Uh, I'm through. I feel a little sick to my stomach. I got a, I got a side stitch too. The, I'm definitely at a point where I don't have to be, I don't have to be running Jim for my lungs to be working. All right. They've been working here. (laughs) All right. I'll be gentle with you. I know it's the fourth quarter and hopefully we won't be going into overtime. All right. We started to get into this uh, Penn State Ole Miss game. I don't want to get into a scouting report on Ole Miss. We'll get there in the next couple weeks. And we got Lane Kiffin to talk about, which, by the way, is just fantastic that they're playing Lane Kiffin. He's already come up with, uh, you know, some great quotes. But let's talk about this Penn State team that, first of all, they're going to be without Chop Robinson, potentially without a couple other players. How much is that going to affect the team? I mean, it does affect the team. I mean, it, it, it really does. It, it it elevates, you know, multiple players in, into new roles. It takes away, you know, I think, I mean, could you say that Chop Robinson has been Penn State's most impactful defender this year? There are, there are you know, like I think probably more so than Adisa Isaac, even though I think Isaac might have ended up with a, with better statistically. Um, obviously having to shut down corner and the linebackers have been outstanding, but in terms of like a, on a down to down basis, when he's on the field, it can be against the run. It can be against the pass. It can be pressuring court, the quarterback, sacking the quarterback, playing his job to funnel a runner inside. You know, he has done everything at such a high level. Yeah. You're going to miss that. Um, now the good news is like on, on that one in particular, you've shown that the defense, the beat can go on with this defense and you've played good teams and at, with, without chop Robinson and you've done good things defensively. So I think it, it affects things, but you know, his, his loss, the silver lining there is that it's an opportunity for somebody. Maybe that's, um, you know, Zariah Fisher, maybe, maybe it's him. Maybe it's one of the guys we haven't talked about 
uh, too much one of the more veteran guys. So th- somebody's going to get more opportunities in this, in this one. And that's kind of what the bowl game is all about anyway. And and straddling that line between like, Leah, let's win this game because it matters. We want 11 wins. We both want to be an SEC team. But you also are trying to think about this in terms of what it does for you going forward. So it would be a great thing, I think, for James Franklin and, and the Penn State defense to find somebody who emerges with like, two and a half tackles for loss or something in this game uh, to scoop up those, those, those opportunities and do something with it. And I think they've got the depth pieces that somebody can do that. Jameel Lyons, you know, may, may, like they, we, we spoke highly of him earlier in the year. There's somebody there who can take the advantage and take the opportunity and run with it. And you know what, Dusty? It doesn't necessarily have to be another defensive end. You know, it, right. it's, it's, it's often said that, the bowl game, it's not just the last game of this season. It's like the first game of the next season. And it's an opportunity for some of the younger players to emerge. And I, I think that's part of the excitement of the bowl game. And seeing that, Jamel Lyons, that, that's a good one. The young guy that they talk so highly about. And might he get some snaps because of Chop Robinson not being there. But the other thing is, in filling the void that chop Robinson left. It doesn't have to be another defensive end, right? It could be that linebacker or safety or cornerback. As we've seen, they can be creative on how they get to the quarterback and it could be any of those guys. Well, I mean, or it's, it's you're, you're talking about denying Dennis Sutton being unleashed at a new, at a new level. You know, it, it could be, it could be that defensive end. But yeah, I think you know if you're if you're going to ask somebody to pick up the slack from a rush the passer perspective, Abdul Carter makes a lot of sense. Give him more opportunities. You want to get somebody who can get in the backfield and, and create havoc. Abdul Carter is high on that list too, so maybe maybe he gets more chances. But uh, I think the defense is going to be fine. You know they they've had that aggressive mindset. They they've delivered pressure in a wide variety of ways, not just individually one on one off the edge with these talented edge rushers. That matters, and that that um, sets a tone. It, it helps the cornerbacks. It just makes everything easier for Penn State's defense. But they've they've done it with the tackles. They've done it with. Um, you know, delayed blitzes with linebackers coming up the middle. They've done it with cornerback blitzes. They've done it with safety blitzes. They can manufacture pressure. Where Manny Diaz was such a magician was that um, you got the pressure with those one-on-one wins. The ones that, that the the type of pressure you want is having your guy sure. beat the other guy and make a play that way. But you've also were were masterful at manufacturing the pressure. Whenever you're sending that extra guy that nobody nobody knows is is coming, so they, there are multiple ways to make up for this, and I think it's going to fall on everybody ultimately. So your point uh, is a good one. Everybody's going to have to do a, just a little bit more. And I ha- have no doubt on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, before we get out of here, Dusty, a couple other little news items that came up. I think this is really good news, and maybe went a little. Uh, under the radar, but Riley Thompson, the punter, it was up in the air whether he still had eligibility. Now, when the backup punter decided to transfer out, go into the portal, that was kind of a sign, I think, of what was to come, which is that Riley has actually is going to have two more years of eligibility. I think that was an underrated piece of good news. 
that was an underrated piece of good news. Like if you have stability there and consistency there and your punter making the right read and, and delivering, you know, on a predictable trajectory, being able to execute whatever he's being asked to execute. It's one of those things you don't know how valuable it is until you don't have it. And, you know, the other thought through this entire transaction and I, you know, I went off the cuff and asked who who James Franklin's worst hire had been. But how about the fact that look back over James Franklin's scholarship specialists? That's not a real great list either. And that includes the the backup punter you just mentioned, Alex Paquetta, who who opted to move on, probably in direct connection with this. He couldn't win the job, you know. And, and consistency it matters so much. If you can deliver an 80-yard punt on one and then shank two after that, it doesn't matter that you can punt the ball 80 yards. So having Riley Thompson be that, you know, that good, that steady, and guaranteeing two more years means you don't have to worry about this position anymore. And I suspect, you know, like I think you, you maybe Penn State takes these gambles in the future, but James Franklin didn't like doing it in the first place, and he hasn't gotten results for it. Maybe the punter and kicker spots are the ones that Penn State is most active in the transfer portal going after them, you know, get, getting good talent there as they did this year and, le- and investing fewer scholarships on the front end on guys. I mean, think about the guys who have like Jake Pinneger, I think was a bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, Blake Gillikin was a huge success. Jordan Stout was the, was the other, was the big success as a kicker and he was a transfer. So I think that the days of James Franklin giving multiple scholarships to specialists in one cycle, maybe even giving one scholarship to specialists in a cycle, it's going to become very, very rare. Well, I think it's at least lesson learned. But, you know, what I take out of that more than anything, Dusty, is he did spend those scholarships on the kicker, Sahedek also, and then brought in a, a transfer portal kicker and a transfer portal punter. Now, he's not ever going to say the words out loud that it's because I'm disappointed in my scholarship punter and my scholarship kicker, okay? He's not going to say that. It was about competition, Dusty. But just like... You know, I, I believe him in, the, in this area. I believe, I think, especially, you know, a young place kicker or a young punter where, as I said, like the consistency of it and the mentality part of it and being able to do it in pressure situations and, and all that, like if you can't compete for it and win a job, you're probably not going to make clutch kicks anyway. That, like I, I really think so. I think James Franklin blows a ton of smoke sometimes, but I think uh, having a really good competition for that specialist job should yield the best candidate more times than not. See, I... And again, I don't think either one of these arguments is is a bad one or incorrect, but I also think he would not have bothered unless he thought he might need it. Both can be true. Both can be true. And the reality is he did need it, Dusty, okay? Yeah. And that was him again saying, I'm not going to live with a mistake I made. (laughs) If, you know, that offensive coordinator after one year isn't the guy, I'm going to bring in another guy. If it's a year and nine games and not the guy, I'm going to make that change. But uh, anyway, we also, we talked about Chop Robinson opting out and declaring for the draft and not going to the bowl game. I thought it was also nice. Theo Johnson declaring for the draft. Absolutely not a surprise there, but also saying he's going to play in the game. 
Well, I have a good source who told me that, you know, captains are going to be evaluated a little differently as far as out opt-outs go. Well, Theo Johnson's a captain, too, and maybe the expectation was he'll play. And I think the, the good thing with James Franklin, and this is a really players-coach kind of thing, is, um, you know, walking the fine line and saying, Theo Johnson, we're going we're gonna to keep you on X pitch count. You know, that's a dangerous position in terms of, like, having linemen roll up on you and being close to the pile and close, close to where it's most physical. I think you're going to see Theo Johnson maybe play a bit less and, and kind of have it both ways. You mitigate, you mitigate a little risk. You get uh, your your guy in there, and uh, and you just try not to not to get him hurt the best you can. Well, yeah, I do think we know that the captains have a certain responsibility, but it's also hey, don't steal my not... material, Jim. That's my source's material. <laughs> but Jim's my the... source. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but part of this also, it's the Saquon Barkley treatment, you know, and I don't think it's such a bad idea. And I also don't think it's such a bad idea when you have the depth you have at tight end. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's ultimately a good thing. You know, you think about the, we don't know much about Jerry Cross right now. You know, we, we think we could have a, a high opinion of Andrew Rappoyer who who came in there. Uh, that could be somebody who has a promising type performance in the bowl game. And it makes a world of difference to go in the off season with that. And, 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 you know, to have that as your momentum builder going into, you know, the, the off season work, I, I think it's ultimately a good thing, but you still are so deep at that position. You're fi- You're fine. Even if Theo Johnson's on a pretty tight pitch count, which I don't think he will be. Well, and, and, but if he is, you didn't mention Khalil Dinkins. I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing a little bit more of him. And, you know, I always bring up the example. I thought Curtis Jakes had a great year this year. But if he's on a little bit of a pitch count and I see more Tony Rojas, I'm not going to complain about that. That's Dusty. okay, too. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, but, and it's keeping that healthy perspective on a bowl. It's about the young players and it's about winning. So I think James Franklin does a good job of managing, uh, of getting both those things done. And there are positions where it's it's especially possible. Dusty, that is it. You made it, my friend. You survived the full game. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are.